This is Affliction Fiction, a podcast regarding writers and artists who quite literally make their characters sick. I'm James Ewer. And I'm Jennifer Horlick. On this show, we analyze illnesses that exist in fictional works, such as TV, books, and film, and how they relate to the real world. And this week, we'll be examining the plague of insomnia, which occurs in Gabriel Garcia Marquez's 1967 novel, 100 Years of Solitude. Hey, Jennifer, you know what's a quick, guaranteed way to experience 100 Years of Solitude? What? Putting on a fedora. 100 Years of Solitude follows the fictional Colombian city of Macondo, which is founded by a character named José Arcadio Buendía. Macondo is a peculiar place, as it is geographically isolated from any and all surrounding civilizations. The only exposure to the outside world that the town gets is when a band of gypsies, led by a man named Melquiades, passes through Macondo and brings along new scientific developments and inventions. At one point early on in the novel, a young girl named Rebecca shows up at the Buendia house with a letter addressed to Jose Arcadio Buendia, asking that he take care of her. And upon her arrival, Rebecca is in far from great physical condition. Her skin is a greenish color, she isn't speaking, and her stomach suggests malnutrition, yet she refuses to eat. Later, we start to learn more about Rebecca's peculiar eating habits. The text states, They could not get her to eat for several days. No one understood why she had not died of hunger until the Indians, who were aware of everything, for they went ceaselessly about the house on their stealthy feet, discovered that Rebecca only liked to eat the damp earth of the courtyard and the cake of whitewash that she picked off the walls with her nails. It was obvious that her parents, or whoever had raised her, had scolded her for that habit because she did it secretively and with a feeling of guilt, trying to put away supplies so that she could eat when no one was looking. Eventually, Ursula Iguaran, the matriarch of the Buendia family, brews an herbal remedy that successfully brings Rebecca back to health, but only briefly. One night, Rebecca finds herself unable to sleep, and she is discovered sitting awake in the middle of the night by Visitacion, a Guajiro Indian woman staying in the Buendia household. Visitacion fled from her old location because her tribe had been afflicted with a plague of insomnia, and sure enough, that's what she found Rebecca displaying symptoms of. Initially, no one in the Buendia family considers an insomnia plague to be an issue, as it means they get more time in the day. But Visitacion warns that the plague of insomnia is not just a matter of wakefulness. It's accompanied by a gradual yet intense memory loss. And unfortunately, because Ursula runs a candy business from within the Buendia household, the insomnia begins to infect everyone in Macondo. At first, the people of Macondo do consider this plague to be beneficial. Productivity in the town increases as people go days on end without sleeping, and they begin to actually see their own daydreams and the dreams of others in the world before them. But as Visitacion predicted, the plague victims begin to forget the names and functions of the objects that surround them, and José Arcadio Buendía has to take drastic precautionary measures. The text states, He went to the corral and marked the animals and plants. Cow, goat, pig, hen, cassava, caladium, banana. Little by little, studying the infinite possibilities of a loss of memory, he realized that the day might come when things would be recognized by their inscriptions, but that no one would remember their use. Then he was more explicit. The sign that he hung on the neck of the cow was an exemplary proof of the way in which the inhabitants of Macondo were prepared to fight against loss of memory. This is the cow. She must be milked every morning so that she will produce milk, and the milk must be boiled in order to be mixed with coffee to make coffee and milk. Thus, they went on living in a reality that was slipping away, 
momentarily captured by words, but which would escape irremediably when they forgot the values of the written letters. Before Macondo's memory recollection system can get too absurd, however, Melchiades, the leader of the gypsies, appears in the city once again despite being presumed to be dead. He offers a flask with some kind of antidote inside, and it successfully cures the plague of insomnia. And then everything goes back to normal. Now before we get into the plague of insomnia, we should note that the condition which Rebecca first displays symptoms of upon arriving in Macondo is actually a real-life eating disorder. It's called pica. The National Eating Disorders Association defines pica as an eating disorder characterized by consumption of items that are not food or do not have significant nutritional value. In Rebecca's case, she eats up dirt and paint chips. In my case, I eat Kraft macaroni and cheese. Pica is most often caused by previous malnutrition or iron deficiency anemia. While we don't learn much about Rebecca's life before she came to Macondo, descriptions of her initial physical wellness seem to align well with the idea that her case of pica is facilitated by her malnourishment. Interestingly, however, people afflicted with pica don't usually have an aversion to eating normal food. They just eat non-food items in addition. This conflicts with what we observe in Rebecca, as she downright refuses to eat any meal that is put in front of her. As such, it's pretty miraculous that Rebecca survived as long as she did. Her diet lacked any nutritional value for sustenance, and it's likely that she was consuming substances such as parasites in the dirt and lead in the paint, which adversely affected her overall health. The most obvious real-world comparison we can make to the plague of insomnia is, well, insomnia, which is a concept you're probably already familiar with. Ah, uh, yes. I've had cookies from there before. No, I... I meant the sleep disorder. They named a sleep disorder after insomnia cookies? Anyway, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or the DSM-5, lists several diagnostic criteria for insomnia disorder. The first criterion states that insomnia involves a predominant complaint of dissatisfaction with sleep quantity or quality associated with either difficulty initiating sleep, difficulty maintaining sleep, or early morning awakening with inability to return to sleep. There are seven other criteria that the DSM-5 lists for insomnia disorder, but the most relevant to 100 years of solitude's plague of insomnia is the sleep disturbance causes clinically significant distress or impairment in social, occupational, educational, academic, behavioral, or other important areas of functioning. Since the plague of insomnia interferes with infected people's memories and overall behaviors, it would meet this criteria. Another criterion is that insomnia must occur at least three nights per week and be present for at least three months. The people of Macondo remain fully awake for days on end, and while Marquez doesn't give us much information as to how long the plague went on for, we can reasonably assume that it could have gone on indefinitely if not for Melchiades' antidote. We can further classify insomnia as either short-term or acute insomnia, or long-term or chronic insomnia. According to Mayo Clinic, acute insomnia affects many adults for days or even weeks because it's often caused by some traumatic or stressful event. Chronic insomnia, however, can last for years at a time. While it can be caused by simple behaviors like a difficult work schedule, eating too much late at night, habits that interfere with the sleep schedule, or general stress, chronic insomnia is also often a symptom of other medical conditions. Examples of conditions that can cause insomnia include heart disease, Parkinson's disease, and interestingly, Alzheimer's disease. Therefore, while it may seem that the connection between the plague of insomnia and memory loss is far-fetched in the novel, we see cases of the two linked together in the real world more often than you would think. 
Case in point, Jennifer. <laughs> Not you yourself, but. <laughs> yes, I can attest to this being a real world thing because one of my relatives has dementia, which Alzheimer's is a form of dementia. Um, and his sleep schedule is completely off and he wakes up at two in the morning and thinks it's like eight o'clock or 5 a.m. or whatever time he would usually wake up. But yeah, it's a it's a thing. The difference, however, is that in 100 years of solitude, memory loss is caused by insomnia, whereas in real life, memory loss and insomnia are each separate symptoms, both caused by Alzheimer's. At the simplest level, treating insomnia involves rectifying the behaviors that are likely causing it. This includes keeping a consistent bedtime and wake time, avoiding eating in excess before you go to bed, limiting consumption of caffeine, alcohol, or any medication which may be causing insomnia, limiting naps, and staying active throughout the day while awake. These practices are referred to by the National Sleep Foundation as cognitive behavioral therapy. Another approach is known as stimulus control, which is the practice of avoiding being in your bed or bedroom while awake, which college students might struggle with, but this helps break down any mental associations you might have between wakefulness and your bedroom, which realistically should help you focus on sleeping whenever you are in bed. I've actually found this to be quite accurate because I haven't been spending much time in my bed slash in my dorm so far this semester. And like I fall asleep immediately when I go to bed. Mm, okay. So I may have to try it then. The National Sleep Foundation may be a credible organization. <laughs> Who would have thunk? People have also found success in relieving insomnia through relaxation techniques such as meditation and breathing exercises. And if all else fails, there are over-the-counter as well as prescription sleep aids for insomnia, which may work with varying degrees of success. Most of you probably have a good sense of what Alzheimer's disease is, and we have talked about dementia before in our Wormword episode, but it's worth mentioning again. Dementia, according to the Alzheimer's Association, is a general term for a decline in mental ability severe enough to interfere with daily life, so it's not a specific disease. Alzheimer's disease is an example of a type of dementia, and it is also the most common type. These diseases are caused by damage to the brain cells in various locations in the brain. A disease associated with memory loss that we haven't yet discussed is Huntington's disease. The Huntington's Disease Society of America defines Huntington's disease as a fatal genetic disorder that causes the progressive breakdown of nerve cells in the brain. This disorder has come up several times in my nursing prereq classes when learning about genetics because it's an example of a dominant disorder, which is quite rare. Essentially, if a person with Huntington's disease decides to have kids, their children will have a 50-50 chance of carrying the faulty gene for the disease, as everyone carries the gene that causes Huntington's. If a child inherits the faulty gene rather than the normal gene, they will be afflicted with Huntington's because it is a dominant trait. Wow, Jennifer, are you a nursing student? Yes. Don't care. Huntington starts... <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Huntington starts presenting symptoms later in a person's life, anywhere between the ages of about 30 to 50. Once the symptoms appear, they worsen for a 10 to 25-year period. Symptoms can include personality changes, mood swings, depression, forgetfulness, impaired judgment, involuntary movements, slurred speech, difficulty swallowing, and significant weight loss. Of these symptoms, the one that most relates to the plague of insomnia is forgetfulness, and perhaps personality changes, though those changes in the behavior that the characters display can likely be attributed to stress as a result of not being able to sleep. Aside from physical symptoms of the disease, we can also take a closer look at how the plague of insomnia affects Macondo socially. 
After it became apparent that insomnia had spread through the whole city, the people set up precautionary measures to ensure the health and safety of any who dared to visit the town. The text states, All strangers who passed through the streets of Macondo at the time had to ring their bells so that the sick people would know that they were healthy. They were not allowed to eat or drink anything during their stay, for there was no doubt but that the illness was transmitted by mouth, and all food and drink had been contaminated by insomnia. In that way, they kept the plague restricted to the perimeter of the town. Historically speaking, it isn't unheard of for a town to enforce these sorts of quarantining practices. A notable example is in response to the Great Plague of London, which was the final epidemic of bubonic plague in England and began in 1665. As incidences of plague increased in London, the mayor and council of the borough of Marlborough issued an ordinance, a record of which has been preserved by an editor named B.H. Cunnington. The ordinance required that the inhabitants of Marlborough supervise all entrances into the town to ensure that no visitors enter without an issued license. Similar measures were also taken against leprosy during the Middle Ages. Leprosy caused visible sores on the skin and eventual failure of inner body functions, and as such, it was massively feared. It's for this reason that, according to NYU professor Daniel Utah, European cities in the Middle Ages often had designated leprosariums, or leper colonies. These were wards located outside of cities that people infected with leprosy were forced into. Interestingly, if these people ever left the leprosarium, they were often required to wear bells to warn others of their disease. This isn't too far off from Macondo requiring that its healthy visitors ring bells to indicate their lack of disease. Therefore, while 100 Years of Solitude does take place in a time period more recent than that of leprosy and bubonic plague, the way that we see disease affect the city of Macondo calls back to an earlier time, and it suggests that the plague of insomnia has more in common with real-life plague than simply the fact that it's contagious. And that's all we have to say for now. But what do you think? Do you have a question or contribution to today's discussion? If so, send us an email at afflictionfiction at wnyu.org. For now, I'm James Ewer. And I'm Jennifer Horland. Thanks for listening. And get well soon. Excerpts from 100 Years of Solitude were written by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, translated from Spanish by Gregory Rabasa with assistance from the Center for Inter-American Relations, and published by Harper and Rowe. Lover's Carvings by Bibio was written by Stephen Wilkinson and is property of Warp Records. 